Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 96 of Strangers in a Cinema. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Gentlemen, as ever, how are we this week? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Although we talked about this at, at some length last week, that we were sort of dripping with sweat for most, if not all, of the show. And a similar case has arisen today, where uh, Jack and I have actually relocated our recording position to a different room in my house thinking oh that'll be a lot cooler an area and I would say the the difference is negligible if if anything at all so um, we're going to battle on through because we wanted to bring you another episode of this show but uh, don't don't think that it wasn't a bit of a struggle how about you man are you coping all right is your house like a sweltering hellhole as well uh, no it was last week I have to say this week it seems to be considerably cooler and I think it might be because I've had the curtains shut all day so um, that's very exciting uh, for everyone listeners at home to know um it's basically because i forgot to open them uh so yeah it's worked quite well for me i'm i'm happy in the room that i'm in it's nice to see you guys the one thing i will say is obviously uh, listeners i can obviously see jack and pete while we do this podcast they look a lot less they look a lot more comfortable than they do usually there's a bit more space between the two of them uh this time around and they don't look like they're ready to kill each other which is always quite nice i think it's projection on your part man <laughs> we're, we're, we're always doing our very very best except for when we hit like an hour's worth of technical niggles before it was starting the show but that's not the case today that's not the case today it was pretty smooth sailing apart from all the, the like sweat and uh, sort of physical discomfort so we're all good hey let's talk about the actual film show that we're doing which uh, involves a, a sort of audio trip through a virtual cinema we always take our first step into a place that we call the foyer uh, you might call it the foyer as well when you go to an actual cinema but this allows us the chance to talk about some stuff from the world of film that has come up in the last week or so paul what on earth is happening that you care about connected to film as of late? Well, uh, yeah, Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, who I'd like more than you, Pete, I think it's fair to say, um, is decide has decided to launch uh, some form of, of streaming service, or as he's described, as he's describing it as, and credit to the Guardian article in this one, uh, he's describing it as an unadulterated cultural expressway for the arts. It's there to inspire the youth, which all sounds very positive. Um, and not that entirely as pretentious as I thought it might. Except that didn't you say that he's named this streaming service after himself, Pete? Was this, it, is this the, the streaming service in question, Paul, I believe, is called By NWR, as in By Nicholas Wyndon Refn, even though it's this, whatever those words were that were spewed out by the PR team there. Uh, yeah, even though apparently it's this expressway for all expression of the arts and youth and filmmaking, etc., we have to put that all through the prism of one Nicholas Wyndon Refn, who I think is getting increasingly crazed in his own sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, re- reverberating sounding chamber where he thinks well, that we... he is the centre of the filmmaking world. Has he not said, Paul, that film is dead and has now been resurrected? Was that not a quote around the launch yes, of this that thing? Yes, that is, seems to be a quote around the launch of this thing. I mean, film is dead and has now been resurrected. So I, he's been making films of late, so is he resp- partly responsible for the death of film? Well, it, I, I, I don't well, it's know. it's evidently um, in his mind, Paul, been resu- resurrected by NWR, hasn't it? So, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, this thing is one of those that on the surface, it seems like, oh, this is like that Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, press record or whatever it's called, hit record thing, uh, which sounds cool 
and like gets collaborative stuff going between filmmakers or artists or whatever. I mean, there is supposed to be like there is supposed to be like essays around films that he's showing, and there is like supposed to be expanded content around around the films that are showing. So the, the idea of it does sound quite interesting, well, I, it, more so than he's probably is quite pretentious self promotion of it. Yeah, um, I, I believe also that the idea is that each month there's going to be a restored version of a classic film which he is going to push out yes. onto the platform. Which great, you know, all power to him. Why he needs to name it after himself and make it all about himself, I do not know. Well, I do know because he is an egotistical filmmaker who's got way too big for his boots. But um, can we have another quote from? Can I give you another? Oh, quote please from him? do, when man. Was, when he was asked, so he was asked about the the blurring of the boundaries between cinema and long form television. Right. Reference shrugs. Television is dead, and television will not be reborn. It will not come back. What has surfaced instead is the digital platform of entertainment. Cinema will come back, but with different meaning. But television is dead. Okay, okay. So f- thank goodness, film and television were both dead. But thank- yeah. thanks to his lordship, Nicholas Wynn and Refin, we're getting film back. But sadly, lads, TV is over. Um, yeah, I-, I don't know, man. There's there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to to as as uh, commentators all the world over would say about this point. There's a lot to unpack, Paul, and we could take a deep dive into this. But I don't think that I want to take a deep dive into it because I'd have to have a really really long shower afterwards. I no, I agree. I I am as interested in the platform, and I would say I'm marginally more interested in this platform than the next Nicholas Winter Refn film, but <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I mean, the, the guy, don't get me wrong, um, There, there's a lot to like about some of the stuff that he's done in the, in the past. The Pusher trilogy is 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 interesting. For, it's for what good, it, yeah. oh, interesting is the wrong word, but is is, is kind of uh, vital it's in, it's, in its own way. Good, yeah. uh, and, you know, I've got some love for what's come since, but maybe not to the level of of you know the real acolytes of Nicholas Winderreff and so we'll see I mean new new platforms and new platforms and you know they stand or fall on whether people use them if no one is interested in this then it will die just like television eh and cinema apparently yeah. but uh, yes uh, so yeah I just wanted to also give credit to it's a Peter Bradshaw uh, interview in the Guardian where I've pulled that news article from so I didn't want people to think I've stolen it might have stolen it uh, deliberately I would give credit to Peter Bradshaw for that article and credit to Nicholas Winderreff for those fine fine words uh, Pete what have you got in there for you this week um, so for me, let's let's go on a complete tangent. They're making a movie about Kimbo Slice. Um, it might seem a little bit. Who's Kimbo Slice? Good question, Who's Kimbo man. Slice? Good question. Um, so Kimbo Slice was um, he's deceased, uh, sadly deceased, at a pretty young age right. actually. Okay. Uh, just a, a couple of years back, he was uh, a guy who came to prominence through basically YouTube viral videos for backyard brawling against all comers, pretty much. He's this like really imposing, kind of charismatic character. Often would see, be seen like holding uh, uh, sledgehammers with like chains around his neck in publicity shots and stuff like that. Um, He had success, obviously, in the backyard brawling scene of Miami, but this got him signed to compete as a professional MMA fighter eventually before his sort of knees and and sort of cardio gave out. But the guy, the funny thing about the, the Kimbo Slice story and the reason why I'm glad that something is being made, albeit maybe quite close to his passing, um, I'm hoping that the family is, is sort of okay with this production uh what's interesting about the guy apart from being imposing and brawny and tough and and intimidating is that he was actually this really grounded quite humble family man um and from all accounts uh, at least that i've seen interviewing him was a real pleasure and was the complete opposite of the like uh yeah the persona that you might you might think that he's sort of bringing into that situation so uh, the thing itself the film itself is called uh, backyard legend i believe and um at the moment it's only got 
Winston Duke attacks. Winston Duke, of course, was in Black Panther. Um, he's going to play Kimbo Slice. Apart from that, very few details. The director on this thing is Andy Weiss. Andy Weiss is most known, I guess, as a writer on um, stuff like Middlemen, which is not like a great recommendation for, for getting jazzed for this release. But we will see, man. It might be one of those that is a kind of cash-in on... Uh, a small and cultish fan base and maybe goes straight to video and disappears without trace or it might be something quite worthwhile and an interesting story brought to life uh, or, or sort of resuscitated I guess on the part of Kimbo Slice and his legacy so uh, as an MMA fan I'm interested uh, whether the wider public will be depends on the quality of the filmmaking right it depends on whether cinema's resurrected by that point as well. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, every eye, every eyeball is on Nicholas <laughs> Winden Refin. When it comes to anything, anything we talk about dead. today, man, yeah. you've got to pass it by Nicholas first to see whether it will, in, in fact, <laughs> be given the breath of life that it needs. Um, anything else in the foyer before we move out of this section? Uh, no, nothing's really jumped out at me this week, to be fair. So I think we should probably move on to popcorn movies. Cool. So we will be back in just a moment with a section that Paul has just mentioned called popcorn movies. And back, indeed, we are with Popcorn Movies. Let's see how many times we can say Popcorn Movies popcorn, in this one Paul, episode. Paul, I'm going I'm to do what you did, uh, you know, I was grateful for you doing to me. What is Popcorn Movies, in case anyone's, like, like come to this show for the first time ever and, like, why do they keep saying Popcorn Movies? What does it mean and is it just words? Well, Popcorn Movies is, in fact, a section of the show where we're at the pop... So we've gone from the foyer to the popcorn counter before we go into the cinema to see the features. Uh, so this is where we pick uh, two films that we've seen in the week of... They can be brand new, they can can be of any age, just any films that we've seen and decided are interesting and we will give a very brief uh, small review of them. Uh, Pete, as I've just described the section, you may go first. Cool, thank you very much man. Yeah, uh, so first one for me, I've got two slightly older films for my popcorn reviews this week. Uh, first of which is The Misfits. The Misfits from 1961, directed by John Huston. Uh, th the tagline for this one is one of the most misleading and completely disconnected taglines of any film that I've ever seen. The tagline uh, I've got here is, It shouts and sings with life, explodes with love. Now, think of the opposite of that, and you've got like the centre of this movie. Um, what, what it is, is you've got uh, a character played by Marilyn Monroe, that you might have heard of, who is in uh, Reno, and she is pushing through or finalising her divorce. In the process of doing this, she's basically with one slightly older female friend played by, I think the actress is Thelma Ritter. Uh, she meets a man who... <laughs> Uh, is a rather grizzled version of the ghost of Clark Gable. Uh, it is Clark Gable. He, he's basically got this, like, really ropey, quite ugly-looking dog that pay, pay, pays attention to Marilyn Monroe, and this is their kind of meet-cute, although it isn't cute at all. He's kind of like this haggard, like I say, haggard version of Clark Gable, quite sweaty, with the sort of pencil moustache. And um, from this point, you can tell that it's going to be some kind of a building, emerging romance between this guy who wants to live the life of a drifter on the plains essentially wrangling breaking and then selling horses and Monroe's character who talks like a 12 year old girl 
and sort of, uh, you know, is as breathy as she's ever been in this thing, uh, seducing everybody in sight. Now, into that gravitational pull, obviously couldn't go just one man. You also have a character played by Montgomery Clift, who's like this kind of spunky, sassy rodeo rider who drinks a little bit too much and has too little regard for his own safety. He's obviously a bit more appealing to Munro at certain points, but has his own baggage. And then there's a character played by uh, the actor Eli Warlock, who is more of a kind of slightly broken but sensitive man whose wife has passed away. The film is just laced to its very core with relatively heavy-handed metaphors. I mean, the idea that these men are trying to wrangle and capture wild horses is clearly a nod and a wink to the idea of being sort of in a relationship as opposed to being free to run wild and, and do what, what you will. Um, the other thing that strikes me about this movie, man, is all the biographical stuff around it. I said Clark Gable looked a bit haggard. In fact, Clark Gable dropped dead almost immediately after they wrapped the film. Um, turns out that, I mean, check this out, Paul, for a health sort of um, uh, pressy of his, his sort of uh, file at the doctors. This guy, Clark Gable, uh, we all know, he smoked apparently on average four plus packs of cigarettes per day from the age of 15 to his death at age 59. Uh, that's going to test your health. That's going to test your heart. He died of a heart attack. Um, Four, four or so years after the movie, Montgomery Clift also dropped dead at only 45. And about an 18-month period after this thing finished, Marilyn Monroe herself died at 36. Can I, can I stop you there? Because I think also about three and a half years after this movie came out, cinema actually died. Um. <laughs> <laughs> cinema had been smoking a great deal yeah, yeah. yeah I mean the guy who came out of this off screen best by a distance is Eli Warlock who I think lived to about 93 he only died uh, four years ago but apart from that the cast seemed pretty much doomed uh, yeah the, the misfits uh, are all sort of um, a group of people who was both characters and I think off screen personas are fairly lost fairly broken and actually what you see is this love Square with with Marilyn Monroe as the the most attractive point of the square, I suppose. Uh, this this love square of people who, in terms of the guys, are just trying to essentially emotionally manipulate the woman out of her clothes throughout, using everything they possibly can, from you know the death of a loved one to uh, the damage that they experience with their relationship with their father to uh, their own lonesomeness and so on. There's so much in the movie that might make you cringe. I mean, the the relationship between Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe is also built heavily on the fact that uh, it's like a father and daughter. I mean, he treats her like a daughter. She looks up to him like he were a father. And apparently off screen, Marilyn Monroe actually kept a picture of Clark Gable under her pillow when she was in foster care and raised by a single mother of Clark Gable thinking of him or imagining wow, him okay. to be her father. So like the Freudian elements to this film are many and varied. But all in all, it's got so much like classic Hollywood about it from the good to the bad, which is mostly what I focused on in terms of all this debauchery and like off-screen uh, disintegration, that it's really fascinating sort of frame on frame to just see these these huge, huge established stars interacting with each other and knowing that all this stuff is kind of broiling below the surface and off-screen and between 
takes. So I would say from that point of view, uh, even alone, I would recommend The Misfits. And it's just one of those that I think if you haven't seen it, it probably deserves to be uh, experienced, right? If that doesn't sound too flimsy of a recommendation, I, I would say that... You know, or, or just go for Marilyn Monroe and how kind of luminous she is in, in almost everything. Although the damage behind her eyes is very, very apparent in this because we're so close to the end of the line for her. So, um, yeah, that was The Misfits. I'll stop talking. It was 1961 uh, release. Paul, what have you got next? Uh, I've got a very, well, pretty much brand new release, actually, which I was lucky enough to see last night at Odeon's uh, Scream, Scream Unseen, which I think I've talked about before. They do a secret horror film. Uh, this is Sergio G. Sanchez is the secret of Marabone or just Marabone as I think it's been released in the US and stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and George Mackay among others Um, so it's a horror as the title may suggest something of a ghost story Um, a family uh, moved to a quiet sort of uh, house in the middle of nowhere in the in the middle of nowhere in the US to escape uh, an abusive father possibly who remains behind in Britain or does he um, the mother then passes away fairly early on in the film that's not really a spoiler um, and the children are left to fend for themselves um, and the character the George Mackay's character uh, kind of takes on the father figure role um, and has to look after the family all the while you get the element that you get you get the idea that some something's definitely not right here the the, the all the mirrors are covered in the house so in kind of sort of standard ghost story fare here all the mirrors are covered in the house um there appears they appear to be haunted by something something's killing animals in the loft uh and it, it does rely on a few twists and turns so i'm not going to give any more away of the story than that um sergio g sanchez i bring him up because he is the man that wrote the orphanage pete uh and i believe yeah it's i his, did see that yeah. when you mentioned this movie yeah yeah so he's the, he's the man that wrote the orphanage so i think, believe it's his directorial debut um and anya taylor joy is certainly a rising star and someone that i think is is going to be a, a very very big talent i think he's quite talented already in fairness um She's got such a distinct look as well, hasn't yes. she, Anya Taylor-Joy? For, for, for an actress so young, I think I talked about her in regards to um, Thoroughbreds a couple yes. of weeks ago. But um, yeah, she, she's so sort of um, poised for someone who is so young. It, it's kind of quite a, a magnetic charisma that she has, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think she, she certainly steals the movie. And I would say that, um, unfortunately, despite this being from directed by and written by uh, the writer of The Orphanage, I have to say she is probably the best thing about this film. I just think it... It's atmospheric in places, which is great, and some of the some of the haunted house scenes and some of the the kids sort of walking around scared is is quite powerful. Um, not not incredible, but still still worthy enough of worthy enough horror footage. Um, but it just descends into farce, I think, for the the kind of second half of the film. And there's a, the big twist is just um, I just don't get it. I just I don't buy it at all, and it just makes the film seem a little bit silly and uh, without. Just slight spoiler territory here, so maybe switch off. Again, we're touching on we're touching on. <laughs> maybe the switch off. Maybe How switch, switch off in that time. <laughs> just switch off the whole show. Maybe Don't maybe switch just, off the show. Yeah. <laughs> maybe put your fingers in your ears for this bit. It touches on mental illness again, and it's handled very very clumsily, unfortunately. And I think rather than going down that route, I personally would prefer it to be more of a straight ghost story, and I think it would have been better for that. There's another twist at the end that again moves it away from ghost story territory 
and I don't think it should have done. I think it should have been played as a straight ghost story. So, yeah, I was a bit disappointed with this, considering the pedigree behind it. Uh, you can listen again now because it's Pete's turn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just at this point, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that um, Paul said a ghost story, and that obviously makes me think of the movie A Ghost Story, which is now streaming on now streaming on Netflix. So, um, yeah, just heads up if you didn't catch that at the cinema, it's available for the first time on a streaming platform, as far as I know. Get on it. Um, Second for me, it's another oldie, uh, but relatively goodie, although I think maybe a step or five down from uh, The Misfits that I just talked about. This one is Elephant Walk from 1954, uh, directed by William Dieterl. Dieterl? I have no idea on the pronunciation. It seems kind of Germanic. Um, It's a vehicle, very much a vehicle, for the uh, actress Elizabeth Taylor, and her relationship with a character played by Peter Finch. Peter Finch, people will know as Howard Beale from Network, and without being like really uh, gloomy on this episode, Network, of course, the film that he completed just before his own death. So there's a theme emerging and on the my death side. Of cinema. Oh, well, yeah that, yeah, that too, of course, yeah. as you remember in the, in the mid 70s. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, basically what we've got here is Peter Finch, I believe, is in Sri Lanka. He owns a plantation, tea plantation, plantation in Sri Lanka. This is during the like British Raj, so we're talking uh, just post Second World War, so around 46, 47. Uh, the, the setting of the action in the film, I should say, as opposed to the, the release of the film itself. Um, he meets the Elizabeth Taylor character. They start a relationship very quickly. We don't really get any significant reason for why she would fall for him, but he's a powerful guy and he's got money and that kind of thing. She moves with him onto his opulent um, premises on his plantation there in in Sri Lanka, which is entirely run by essentially slaves, but, you know, the the grateful occupied people of uh, Sri Lanka, or I think it's Sri Lanka rather than India, uh, who, yeah, wait hand and foot on the white men, essentially. Uh, The issue here for the Elizabeth Taylor character is that she is alone in a sea of aging white man. So she's got her husband and then she's got basically like a Bullingdon club. You've put that beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) She's got, yeah, like her own husband and and then like a a similar, something similar to like the Bullingdon club where you've got all these old, old boys who like to like get pissed and ride bicycles around and get like a bit debauched and fall over. Where... She's completely emotionally neglected. She's actually kind of physically neglected. She's in the Tory party, is this what we're getting at? This this is what it seems like. (laughs) And she starts to obviously feel like, why am I even here? Now, the reason the film is called The Elephant Walk, or sorry, Elephant Walk, is because the plantation itself has been positioned by Peter Finch's character's father directly on the path that a uh, pride of elephants is that what we would say a pride of elephants a herd of elephants that is correct a herd of elephants formerly used to walk down to their watering spot obviously the white man cares not about the elephant it's almost like the elephant could be a metaphor for something else isn't it viewers um and so all the while they are kind of vaguely terrorized by the the snarling elephants who just want to bulldoze the whole place and get back to the way things used to be again could be a metaphor couldn't it um what we've got that works is like some good composite stuff considering we're in the sort of mid 1950s here where they've managed to place 
basically stock footage of elephants and intercut that with what's actually happening on screen and make it look passably like those two things are happening in the same time and space. Uh, what we also have is incredible uh, costumery when it comes to Elizabeth Taylor, like some, some fantastic stuff. Even just ticking off all the costume changes is pretty enjoyable in this thing. And then this kind of pinched performance from Peter Finch which you could have just imagined being admonished by the Howard Beale character from Network um, it, it's almost like the elephants are the ones saying I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore the roles have been reversed uh, he's basically his character in this is an absolute dick um, so yeah again check it if you get the chance it, it, dramatically it flawed dramatically slow moving lumbering almost like an elephant Paul but um, yeah there are things to recommend Elephant Walk. Uh, check it out if you can. What have you got next? Uh, I've got another brand new one. Uh, well, basically almost brand new. Uh, this is Leave No Trace from Deborah Granick, who whose last film, I believe, was Winter's Bone, uh, which was the film that pretty much launched Jennifer Lawrence into the stratosphere and was a rather good film indeed. So I was quite excited going into this. Uh, this time round, she's not working with Jennifer Lawrence. She's working with Ben Foster and I believe pretty much a newcomer in Thomas and Mackenzie. Uh, ben Foster plays uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's father in this film. Uh, he is a... A, a sort of a, an army veteran I believe he served in Iraq or possibly Afghanistan so apologies if I've got that wrong um, who is struggling to readjust to normal life due to PTSD uh, and he lives in they basically move from campsite to campsite in national parks or parkland and basically live completely off the grid with his daughter said so played by Thomas and Mackenzie um, it's quite an interesting setup um, and I think Ben Foster is turning into an actor that really, really interests me now, having gone for a number of years as being kind of when Ryan Gosling wasn't available, you got Ben Foster in. Uh, I think Ryan Gosling, uh, Ben Foster now, sorry, is probably for me doing probably more interesting work or as good a work as, as Ryan Gosling is doing these days. So, um, yeah, quite excited for this one. Uh, ben Foster's great in it. Thomas, Thomas and Mackenzie is the newcomer as his daughter is great in this. Um, it's a very, very, I think it's very, very well handled because it's very, very understated. So, um, it's kind of like the fact that basically early on, and again, you can see this in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. Early on, uh, Ben Foster and Thomas, Ben Foster, the, the father and daughter character, the authorities find them in the woods and Ben Foster's father character has to justify why he can keep his daughter. Uh, they move into sheltered accommodation initially where people try and help them. Then they move on from there and it's basically about how they adjust to things, but about how the daughter actually starts to realize that she doesn't want this life for herself she does actually want to live with other people she wouldn't object to going to school and wouldn't object to all these things and about how how, the, how as much as she is aware that her father is ill uh, and struggles to fit into society she isn't and doesn't there's a line if it's in the trailer where she said well i don't share the same problems that you share now if you watch the trailer it's, it's a very heart it's very heart-wrenching it's got the, the typical indie music you might expect and you might expect this film to be overwrought in places um with with the emotion between the father and daughter character and what i really liked about this is it isn't it's one of those films that manages to be emotive without being overwrought um and it's it's a very 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 slow paced film uh it's a very very subtle film in the way it conveys the emotion of the characters and that's in no small part to the superb performances and i would say very tight direction from granite so i've seen mixed reviews about this i've seen people have said that it left them very cold um and that they didn't like the way it went and certainly the end i think will prove divisive for people i liked how it ended not everyone will uh but overall a lot to like pete and i think it's something that i think you would like a lot personally uh so i'd be intrigued to see your thoughts once you hear it but yeah so go out and find it it's on 
limited release at the moment. So if you're lucky enough to have an, an art house cinema near you or an independent cinema, it's likely to be showing it. Or check out, it might turn up on Curzon On Demand. I don't know, I haven't looked. Uh, but yeah, check it out if you can find it. It's still at cinemas at the moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like like you say, man. It's one that I, I want to get onto as soon as I possibly can. So I'll come back with my thoughts once that uh, hopefully happens. Not too too far from now. Um, that's that's it for our popcorn movies for this week, I believe. Yes, it is. We'll be back after this with coming attractions. So, Coming Attractions is the part of our show where we talk about a couple of films that we're excited about that haven't come out yet, but will come out in the future. Um, I'm going to be that irritating member of the team this time round, Paul, where I, my eye was just taken by something that's on the horizon, and yeah, it's quite distant, and it's quite a small dot on that horizon, but it's so appealing to me that I just want to talk about it in this section anyway, so please forgive me for that. Uh, this is Ghost Dog 2, the follow-up to Ghost Dog from director and writer... Oh, shit! Is that Jim coming Jarmusch. out? Yes, it is. It is currently in De- oh, I show you excited. Yeah, it's currently in development. Uh, what detail I have so far is limited to the fact that Forrest Whitaker, of course, is back. It wouldn't be what it is. I mean, it wouldn't exist without Forrest Whitaker. E- equal, almost, I would say, to, to Jim Jarmusch's involvement. Uh, also, RZA, uh, formerly known as the RZA, is is back uh, it, on the acting side of this project. Um, and then we've got plot summary. Uh, plot unknown follow up to Jim Jarmusch's 1999 film Ghost Dog Where the Samurai Ghost Dog Forrest Whitaker meets Rizza at the camp to save the day and be friends once again which to me seems almost like they haven't got any plot synopsis so they've just kind of said some words um, yeah the the point is Paul that as you know and as I think you, you basically co-sign on as well Jim Jarmusch is one of my very favourite current filmmakers and so obviously whatever Jim Jarmusch is doing next is going to be of interest to me but then you add to that the fact that Ghost Dog Where the Samurai is uh, one of his films that stands out as one of my very favourite obviously I'm excited I wish I could give you a secure release date we do not have one but when we have more news I will update Paul give us something that's coming out within the next year or, or... well it's normally me that does this to be fair so you know it's the shoes on the other foot this time around because the film I am talking about in coming attractions I'm going to see after this podcast in fact uh, and also I believe is on again limited release on Friday this is uh, Michael Roxanne who directed Bullhead which I've never seen but it's supposed to be very very good uh, this is his new film uh, the Racer and the Jailbird, starring Matthias Schoenhartz and, are you ready? I'm going to give this lady's name a go. Uh, Adele Exarchopolis, I think, is what we're from going to go blue, here. She blue was is the warmest in colour. Blue is the warmest yeah. colour, yes. Um, and from what I can garner from the trailer, um, it looks like a very stylish, quite sexy, uh, what of the... So quite sexy romantic heist drama is what I've uh, what is what I've summed it up as. So it looks like she may be a criminal. He's certainly a racing driver, and they have a romance. And that's pretty much all I know about this film, uh, apart from the fact that Bullhead is supposed to be very very good. Have you seen Bullhead? No, that's Matthias Schoenarts as well, though, isn't it? It's about yes. like using yeah, using so... intravenous like steroids or something like that as far as I can gather but no I haven't seen it yeah so I've not seen that Matthias Schoenarts is an actor that I, I rate very very highly I think he's very very good um, the director certainly yeah I saw I saw so. Disorder recently with, with him I don't know if I did it on the show but yeah yeah, I agree with you he's a, a really good actor so yes yeah, so I'm seeing that uh, in about an hour's time so once we're finished here I'll go and see that and you will get my full thoughts on that next week so you couldn't get a sooner release than that Pete in fairness you, you know what I want from you as well Paul I want you to, to set things right 
right if if at all possible because of the fact that the current meta score on racer and the jailbird sits at 50 and that makes me sad because like you uh the actress whose name i'm not going to have a go at at all and matthias schoenartz uh fine performers beautiful performers and um yeah you your hopes should be high so yeah let's hope that people are wrong and and you can correct or write the ship on that one we'll, we'll find out next week so that takes us to the end of coming attractions which means get excited settle into your chair you know get yourself nice and comfortable we will be back oh we've got some thrilling feature reviews this oh, week oh Paul don't undersell <laughs> this is as massive as every other week we'll be back in just a moment with our feature reviews So first up, with this excellent double bill of massive film releases, we've got uh, another Netflix release, which I know uh, people are now kind of looking at uh, without optimism attached normally. Uh, This is Tao. Uh, I haven't got the director written down, Pete. Have you got the director of Tao to hand? I've come very unprepared at this. Yeah, this is a director called uh, Federico D'Alessandro. Of him, I know little, if I'm honest. But if you keep talking, I can pretend I know loads by looking it up on my phone. So this is, so this is, as I said, Tao. This is a Netflix original sci-fi film uh, starring Micah Monroe, another up-and-coming uh, star who I think is going to be very big, and Ed Screen, who I don't really rate as an actor, uh, but appears to be appearing in lots and lots he, of things. He's, he's very like, attractive. You know, you were talking <laughs> about uh, the the Ryan Gosling understudy. Um, what's his name again? Oh, ben, ben Foster. Foster. Ben Foster, thanks, lads. Yeah, uh, Ed Screen is like if you can't get Nicholas Holt, you get Ed Screen. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> if it's going to be like doing something murky or like experiments or something a bit unhinged. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for um, sure. what I needed to come back with was this information that I definitely knew and didn't look up, which is that the director Federico D'Alessandro is basically known as an art department guy on things like uh, the first Ant Man, uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Doctor Strange. Um, yeah, all kinds of art credits and i think this is sort of his feature debut as a director having got that sort of work behind him him already um shall i set the film up a little bit paul yes let's do it cool so yeah tau which uh, we'll get into this but i'm not sure quite what it means but um tau it basically tells the story in in very um efficient terms i would say from the outset of a young woman played by maker monroe that paul mentioned who is um some kind of small town small small town small time criminal who goes around like pickpocketing and nicking stuff who herself is pinched and put into a quarantined environment where she seems to be held uh well she's obviously held as a captive but she's in some kind of super smart house that is rigged with all kinds of like um security measures and controls and an ai system referred to as this titular tau um from this position she has to figure out i think it's voiced by gary oldman as well we should say uh she has to figure out how to get out of that scenario um and it seems to be that the best way to go about doing that might not be to reason with her captor who is this uh rather sort of clinical distant christopher uh, christopher christian gray-esque character played by Ed Screen, but instead to try to reason with the kind of quote-unquote humanity of the AI system that is supposed to control her captivity. Before we get into our thoughts, Paul, here is a little clip. I'm a person, right? And a person... Subject three, return to your tasks immediately. I don't belong in here. Or you will be punished. I came from out there. That's where Alex goes every day. 
because he's a person. You have 10 seconds to obey my command. And more people too. 10, nine, eight, So if you can seven, unlock the door. Six, five, I'll show you four. what's outside. Outside? What is outside? So yeah, thoughts wise, I mean, it's, where do I start on this really? I mean, I, I would say I, I didn't like, I, I did quite enjoy it, but I certainly wouldn't say it's a very good film. Pete, where, where, what would you... It, it's not okay. as clever as it thinks it is. Uh, it's, it's I'm not. struggling where to start on this, to be honest. So help this, me out. This movie, to me, um, has its sort of heart so far on its sleeve that you feel a bit embarrassed for it and you kind of would like it to sort of put its heart away occasionally and stop making such a scene. And I say this because the central concern of the film, it's not really a film about the... Um, I hate the expression, but it's not really about the like kind of torture porn or like captivity porn stuff that is incredibly prevalent or at least has been over the last 10 years. It's a film more concerned with something, uh, the issues at the centre of something like Ex Machina. It's about uh, how how far along the line does AI or, or computer technology have to go to to be attributed with the things, things that we attribute to being human. Um, it's got these philosophical concerns, these existential concerns, and this idea that the filmmakers uh, the director included are sort of reaching for this um, catharsis and this sort of profound moment of realisation about how we're all basically interconnected and the reason to be is for other people and I think all of those are fairly um, not only valid but fairly honourable goals. I think what undermines them is that at times it's firstly not that interesting and secondly can feel a little bit daft and I mean of course we're talking about a futuristic superhouse with the voice of Gary Oldman this isn't like a nature documentary but are you, are you with me like did, yeah I think I think I'm with you I mean to me this this felt like uh, a, a protracted episode of the Outer Limits uh, and not the original Outer Limits series I mean the the reboot that was on probably when we were at school Pete mm. uh, like the 1990s Outer Limits series it just it felt like a like a low budget sort of sort of B movie with, but was was trying to be in some ways ex machina. Like ex machina comes across in some ways quite poignant in certain areas, uh, whereas this does not. And uh, you know, I think you know you've you've said earlier where they're, they're in a house, and I was just I nearly interrupted and said, yeah, a house that just seems to be full of sci-fi nonsense. Um, mm. It just it just seems a bit silly, like the the character. And then there's there's a bit uh, in the middle of it where Alex, the guy played by Ed Screen, the captor, um, he explains to Michael Monroe's character that about why you shouldn't, why the AI, why Tao, the AI shouldn't be allowed outside. And he basically explains to her what she has to do next, which is then just reason with the AI for the rest of the film. You know, like, this this is just ridiculous. Like, yeah. And I mean, some some of it looks nice enough. I, I quite like some of like the ro the robot in it. I quite like robots and things. I have to say, I'm quite a fan of even sort of trashy C grade sci fi like this is. So I didn't hate it, but no, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that the AI out the house thing, of course, will make us think about something like Blade Runner twenty forty nine and the Anna Diarmas character that was like a usb stick or whatever right yeah um and and even things going back a little bit like uh chappy or something like that where you've got this kind of sense of uh dawning uh humanity consciousness or whatever it might be and the thing is i'm with you paul i think it's all a bit daft i think it's all a little bit unengaging i think maker monroe is is a pretty talented actress who's made very good choices i mean she's been in the guest she's been in it follows she's even been in that indie movie bokeh which i thought was quite good set in 
in uh, Iceland. Um, and then here, it, she feels it's not so much that she's wasted. It's I think that there's so little else around her other than some decent looking CGI Ed screen and a fairly grating uh, AI that sounds like, you know, like a toddler where they're like, why is that? But why is that? But what's yeah, the I reason for that? I would agree with you. The AI sounds rather than inquisitive, just sounds annoying throughout. Right. Just, yeah. But, but that having having all been said, Paul, I'm not too proud to admit that there was the moment when they have the dialogue about what basically what the point of existence is, coming to a conclusion that I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say amounts to little more than because other people and stuff. Where like I had this involuntary response where the hairs on my legs kind of stood up on end, and maybe I'm just a big softy and a bit soppy, and or I, I don't know because it's philosophy and it's something I studied, and it's you know they're vaguely nodding and winking in the direction of that. It was enough for me, but yeah, n- not loads here to rave about, but certainly not 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 a disaster. Jack, no, you've I seen mean, this as well. Sorry, yeah, Jack, sorry, Paul. Yeah, no, go on, Jack. What did, what did you think? Uh, I thought it was pretty bad, to be honest. Um, I'd, uh, it's hard to say really after to follow what you guys have just said yeah I feel like we've, we've set you up on it sums a, it up <laughs> yeah it's a difficult task but I suppose if you go the other way positives that you took out of this I did enjoy some of the CGI because I think it doesn't look bad does it, it it's not look bad, bad looking it's, nice looking it's film, good yeah, yeah. Making my rose not bad looking either, what lads? That is true. Um, yeah, some of those dresses she was in were were pretty spot on, <laughs> I must admit. There <laughs> but, we go. Uh, we found some positives. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, it, it it doesn't look bad. Anything apart from that? I don't think so. I can't really think on the spot of anything that really stood out for me apart from the visuals. I didn't really like the on-screen relationships. By the way, yeah, I said this at the beginning, and either of you lads might have some insight. Why is it called Tao? Um. Is it spelt T A U? I don't know. I've T got a theory. Go on. What's the theory? Why is it called Tau? Now this is probably bollocks because I'm sure in the film they probably just say it's called like technologically analytic UI interface or something like that. But uh, I think them and us. I've dropped wow. the mic. I think, I think you're giving the film a bit more credit than it deserves, to be honest there. But the thing um, is, is, it's like I said at the beginning, Paul, or, or, or towards the beginning of what we were discussing with this thing, I think that the filmmakers have fairly lofty ambitions for this project. This felt to me like a, a film, a few films that we might have seen on festival circuits or even short festival circuits as well, where, like, do you, like I don't want to mention anything too direct for, for sake of, you know, speaking out of line when it comes to other filmmakers, but there was a film that we saw at a festival around around this time last year that was a sci-fi based in limited storytelling and someone trying to escape from a unit are you with me uh, yes okay yeah. which to me again had sort of like lost lofty aspirations that maybe don't quite play out as well as the filmmakers might have hoped and i think that this is one of those things where like these sort of small ideas uh, think about something like whatever happened to Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whatever that was called. Yeah. Monday. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Monday. Like things like that, where there's basically this kernel of a good idea that instead of being like a Twilight Zone episode or Outer Limits episode, sorry, like you said, Paul, gets the opportunity with the Netflix and and streaming platforms in general to be brought to life and to be something bigger than it might have otherwise been. And I guess for that, I'm grateful. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to shout from the rooftops that everyone needs to see the film Them and Us or Tao. Yeah, Tao. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm kind of close on on that really. I think for me it's nice to see more sci-fi on screen even if it is a bit trashy and a bit crappy like i'm quite happy to watch anything with a robot in it so that that kind of that plays into the the 12 year old me's the nerdy side of me's like 
entertainment factor. I think if you if you're hungover on a Saturday morning and there isn't anything else on, then you could you could do worse than Tau. I don't think it's quite the disaster it's been made out to be in in certain in certain publications, but it's certainly not great. But uh, uh, not but, not when you sit there, not when you sit there and you've got Annihilation as another option as a sci-fi offering on Netflix, for example. But, <laughs> but Paul, I, I've only got to say to you, what is Annihilation? <laughs> if if you if that I'm sounds good, if someone asking inquisitive questions like that sounds like your cup of tea. Then knock yourself out, get down <laughs> yeah. Netflix, and stick this one on. Yeah, Tarot's going to be around for a while. I'm sure it will pick up an audience, and and yeah, Maker Monroe will do better things in the future. And you know, you can't win them all. So um, yeah, we will be back in just a moment with our second feature review, which will be Paul pretty much flying solo on a review of the first Purge. Right, so back we are with the my rev- basically my review because Pete's not got around to seeing it yet because there's not been much of a gap between recording this and last week's episode. In fairness, so yeah, so this is Gerard McMurray's uh, the first Purge, which is don't be- don't get confused, listeners. This is the fourth Purge film. I had to check this earlier thanks to someone on Instagram who responded to remind me there was three. So much appreciated. Uh, this is the fourth Purge film, uh, and this acts as a prequel to the other Purge films, and this is set around the first purge so if you're not aware of what a purge is uh, or haven't seen these films before it's basically uh once a year uh 12 hours a night well for once a year for 12 hours a night one night a year for 12 hours sorry uh all crime is legal including murder um so these films focus on that um the this has been brought in by um a political party who are basically trump's republicans is is a very uh, it's a very uh, what help me out what word am i looking for the very thin very very thinly veiled attack on trump and his policies uh with a political party called the new founding fathers uh who came up in a time of economic ruin and then they've started this first purge which basically is a way for the rich to control the poor and this film touches on that more heavily where they're basically trying to just get the the poor people the the down the down and outs in their opinion to kill each other um in this purge and control the population that way um, the political elements have been more heavily put into focus here. Uh, before I get into what I thought, let's have a clip. You're angry. Yes, I'm angry. Very angry. You want to release that anger? I need to. Thank you for your honest answers. First, a few formalities. Batesius. The official flower of the experiment, they represent rebirth. In the box you have recording lenses, contacts. Should you choose to actively participate, wear them on the evening and they'll document everything you do. As I said, greater participation yields greater financial compensation. Next, we'll implant a tracking device. After that, you'll be all set, as I say, to purge. So yeah, so on to on to my thoughts on this one. Um, Pete, have you seen the have you seen the other Purge films? Is, I believe you not? I believe Paul Anderson that I've seen two of the Purge films. I think maybe the first okay. and second, because uh, yeah. the the second one is where Frank Grillo came on the scene, right? And I know Correct, and quite yeah. like Frank Grillo from like Kingdom and and elsewhere. Um, and and the first one is Ethan Hawke. Is that right? Ethan Hawke, yeah. So the first one is more of a, a straight up like home invasion film. When I first watched that, it kind of evoked like Funny Games. Uh, well, it massively evoked Funny Games to me, really. Um, and it was it was fine again. And then the second one was more uh, more all out action, sort of set during a purge uh, from not 
from Frank Grillo who decided to get involved with it. So it's more of a straight up action film. And again, it's not a bad film, Bernie Stretch. The third one, I've completely forgotten most of the events of the third film, to be honest. Uh, but that does bring in more of the politics side of it and the fact that actually the, the founding fathers of the political party are actually, aren't actually playing fair and they're sending in soldiers to encourage people to fight more. So it, it, the political corruption side of it. It's always been a series for me where the premise has been better than the films they've released because I think the premise is an interesting one. Um, and for the most part, I would say that probably continues with the first Purge. Um, it's probably interesting for about the first 40, 45, five minutes uh, where you've got characters debate where because you've not had a purge before they're testing it this time around it's a test in Staten Island um, which is a largely which has got a largely black American African American population um, so they are working towards the fact that this is more of a race profiling thing that they have done than they have touched on in the previous films um, and actually what's quite interesting is you've got characters debating the morals of whether or not they are actually going to purge um, and is it worthwhile doing and why would people want to do this to each other? And would people actually want to do this to each other? Um, so those bits are quite interesting. And you've got um, you've got a fairly decent young cast um, who bring quite a lot of energy to their roles, who are quite good in it, I have to say. Um, but then the second half just degenerates into mindless action that is fairly poorly shot and just sort of gets a little bit over the top. And I'd say it loses any kind of points that it won over for kind of like a, a clever political piece and just degenerates into people hacking each other up and people shooting each other, which is fine. And The Purge is kind of that series. They've always been a, a B-movie series, but I think if they continue on that track, then they're just not going hit, to hit their potential, to be honest. Um, yeah, funnily enough, Paul, the, the reason that I haven't, primarily the reason why I haven't seen this movie yet is is one, because I wasn't really rushing to see it. And, and secondly, was because um, of the World Cup. And I've just seen a headline from a prominent national newspaper in the UK saying uh, the, the first purge suffers as the World Cup destroys the box office. So I think that this film is a direct casualty of the, the rise and continued rise of the England national football team. Um, yes, with that all in mind and this coming out on July the 4th, it seems like it should be this sort of event release because it's Independence Day and it's you know like you said at the beginning of your of your review there that it's sort of tapping into this Trump era uh, political landscape but well the you... film poster itself is is a red cap with the first purge yeah. just on it so <laughs> which yeah. is great like, I quite but, like that but then f um, from from that standpoint you said like the, the first 45 minutes is interesting and then it sort of descends a little bit more into sort of action flim flam um, do, is there anything like do you walk out of this with any kind of re reassessment of your own beliefs or like any insight or, or comment or satire on or, you know that, that is particularly pointed on the current political climate or is this well it, is this as I've also heard read just violence for violence sake I think it's it's a mix of both to be honest I don't think it's I think it's, it's satire is one of those things that's quite often consumed by people that think a certain political way anyway so therefore you could argue what's the point of satire full stop um but this this won't change this won't change anyone's mind I don't think and I think I did read somewhere I did read uh, somewhere that actually um, I think it was a review on Letterbox that she was reading of this where a bunch of as they described them sort of redneck hillbillies were laughing at some of the the, the scenes which were supposed to be sort of white supremacists um, shooting black people and supposed to be frowned upon and if the film's trying to hammer in a political message that way then the, the action scenes aren't necessarily the way to do it um, I don't think it will change anyone's mind it's not a subtle political message um, it's arguably presenting facts about the Trump administration that everyone already knows anyway 
So you could then level it. I suppose then you come back to the argument, Pete, that you've just presented, that maybe it's just violence for violence sake and isn't nowhere near as clever as it thinks it is. Um, I think it's it's a six or one half it is and the other. I think the premise is really interesting. I just don't think we've got a film yet that is deserving of the premise. Um, and I mean, I and I mean yeah, you say that thing of like, it, it might not be as clever as it thinks it is. I mean, I wonder whether it actually at this point thinks it is clever or whether it is just aware that... No, this, I suppose not. It's just a blunt well, hammer. Yeah. Just that <laughs> yeah. this gravy train keeps delivering the goods and like, let's carry on pumping out Purge movies if they're still making a buck. And like, uh, is is this franchise going to run on based on the evidence of, of seeing the fourth instalment yourself? Like, do you think there's, there's room for another one? I don't know. I didn't think there was room for another one after the second one, to be honest. So it, it may surprise me. I th- don't think it's done too badly stateside opening weekend because it's come out on the same weekend. So, um, yeah, I don't really see that there's there's room for another one. I probably will keep watching them because I quite like sort of claggy B-movies anyway. And this certainly falls into that category. Um, just because I think that at some point someone might make some might make something really good with this concept, but dubious, dubious of whether that will happen, but quietly hopeful. Interestingly enough, Paul, uh, to sort of sign off at the end of this thing, then I guess the you were mentioning that this the, the central part of the film is set on Staten Island. Is that right? Yes, pretty, so, much, well, pretty much the whole film. Right. So uh, the writer of of the movie, and I think all of the other Purge movies, if my research is correct, is a man called James DeMonaco. And James DeMonaco yes. is actually writing uh, currently and directing, or, or set to direct, uh, a film released in two, uh, 2019 called Once Upon a Time in Staten Island. So obviously uh, I, I would be fully unsurprised if this, this man is from that area. But this one is apparently a coming-of-age family drama uh, starring Frank, our boy Frank Grillo that's come up already, uh, Bobby Cannavale, Naomi What's She Not In, uh, and uh, a host of others, in which it seems from first impressions that this is going to be, yeah, this, this kind of coming-of-age family drama set in the 80s, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, no one's actually going to get purged in it. It might not turn into an ultra-violent bloodbath. So it'll be interesting to see what... Intriguing. What... Or they might Cloverfield it, and it might turn into a purge film. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. It's going <laughs> yeah. to be, be backwards Halfway through, Shutter's just that. come down. Shutter's come down and the house gets attacked. <laughs> to be fair, it would be quite an interesting idea to do with anything where it's like the production's not going too well and you go like, lads, should we just purge this one? Yeah, turn it into a purge movie. That's it, right, 12 hours, everybody get the pickaxes out and start going at each other. But yeah, um, so to, to, to sum up then, uh, you, you're not you're not jonesing for the purge five it was, re-elected no, not or whatever. I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, if it wasn't for the podcast, I probably wouldn't have gone to see it, but we can say that about quite a lot of the films we review. It's, it's, it's functional, it's passably entertaining, but it's not as good a satire or as good an action film as it thinks it is. Can I, can I ask you a final question, Paul? If there were a 12-hour purge system in, in force in the UK, would you be a batten down the hatches and hide indoors, lad? Or would you be a get out there and chop off some heads guy? It depends how much I've had to drink. <laughs> it's a very, very <laughs> candid answer, which I think would ring true with a lot of people. Um, before we wrap up today's episode and uh, go slice each other to bits on the streets, um, have you got anything that you want to give credit to? We always end with end credits. We give credit to something that, that has been like right decent in the last little bit of time. What's come to mind for you, Paul, if anything? Uh, it seems to be that I just seem to watch films and play video games, which isn't too far off the truth, actually, in fairness. So I just want to pay, play, uh, play credit, pay credit to uh, the Life is Strange video game series, which I picked up uh, on Pete's recommendation, but I picked it up quite recently. And I've hammered through both Life is Strange and Life is Strange... 
the prequel before the storm uh really really enjoyed them really really different to the the kind of thing i would normally play i would say for the most part uh very well written um and yeah very very different kind of a bit like the the um telltale point and click games but just with with a bit more going on focused around the lives of two teenage girls um quite emotional in places actually i found quite affecting and actually just a really nice story if you are looking for something a bit more of a slower pace to play and haven't picked them up i would highly recommend you give them a go yeah or be although i've said this to you a couple of times be wary that the latest installment essentially throws away the best video gaming mechanic from the previous game for a no apparent I finished reason. it now it's not as the the prequel of before storm isn't as good but i have finished it and it's yeah the, the story's a little bit all over the shop comparatively to the first one but then there's um at the end of that there is a there's a bonus chapter because i found the limited edition quite cheap in game uh there's a bonus chapter called farewell which goes back to where uh max and chloe actually said goodbye before she goes to seattle so that's actually quite nice because that touches back to the first game yeah isn't it isn't it a wonderful world and a a real great sort of a contrast i suppose that the same man who has just told the uh, listening public that he would go purging if he'd had enough to drink has also got a sensitive (laughs) enough side to care about the relationship between max coalfield and her teenage girlfriends so uh, (laughs) yeah it's 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 a rich tapestry um my i guess credit this week is going to go to my inability to pronounce people's names because i want to say that um today is the birthday of an actress that i like called uh, golshifte farahani I think I've done all right. Uh, She's an Iranian actress. And the reason she's come to mind, not only is it her birthday on the day that we're recording today, but she's also the girl who plays... Ah, uh, Patterson's girlfriend in the film Patterson. What's his name? The guy with the massive nose? Adam Driver? Yeah. Yeah. Adam Driver's girlfriend in in that movie, which I absolutely adored um, on its release like a couple of years ago. She's also in a really good Iranian film called About Ellie. Um, And she is um, set to be also in a zombie horror movie called The Night Eats the World alongside a couple of the cast of another film that we loved which was personal shopper so a lot to recommend her and her performances and basically i think that the thrust of what i'm saying is if you haven't yet checked out patterson what are you waiting for it's streaming i believe on prime video at the moment um, if not netflix uh and it is of course directed by jim jarmusch that i mentioned where ghost dog 2 is going to come out hopefully in not too much time so uh yeah get on all of those things and um whilst you're whilst you're watching your samurai art house films make a little bit of time for the interconnectedness of teenage girls um have we all done have you got anything else to say for yourself I think, no apart from the fact that we'll be back next week i think i'm gonna right here and now i'm putting my putting my pole in the ground we are reviewing next week skyscraper and incredibles 2 are we happy with that That's my word yeah week. absolutely man and actually <laughs> uh i've just rewatched the first incredibles to kind of set me up for uh for doing that review and for watching the new one so yeah keen on that and i think you're you're an incredibles guy aren't you? i am Jack? an incredible i remember guy. you put it on a list for something so i know that you're definitely a uh... Did, one of my most anticipated films oh well, absolutely it's directly related well, there to we me. go then yeah so yeah. yes yeah that sounds good so that, and sounds, then, that sounds good for next week and then we've got um, we've got the rock as you're saying skyscraper like the rock saving everything again so um yeah what more do you want uh yeah we'll be back in a bit of time i guess around a week but before then get yourself over to the itunes page give us a five-star review 
tell everybody that you know that this film that this film review show is like right good and is filling your head with all these slightly well-informed opinions about films and that and um if there's anything that we don't cover that you want us to cover or any ideas you have for the show shoot us a message through our facebook or through our email which is strangersinacinema at gmail.com uh follow the instagram it's quite interesting i think these days james is doing a great job on social media in general um yeah props anything else paul no that's it apart from goodbye See you next time. Shut up and sit down.